Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to the Partly Political Broadcast, the comedy politics podcast that always asks, but where are you really from? When someone says they found it via Spotify, because I've seen the stats and I know that's not true. I'm Tiernan Duye, but as Minister Without Portfolio, because he'd probably lose it, and Chris Simpson's artist drawing, Nadim Zawahi, says it's unfair for strikes to disrupt people's lives at Christmas... I agree. Those workers could be far more considerate and just do it by making eating unaffordable and heating their horses with taxpayers' money. It's that most wonderful time of year. Yes, that exciting time where Christmas lights bring dread as everyone wonders how much they'll increase the energy bill by and children delight in handing their parents present wish lists featuring Lurpak butter and could maybe this year be the year that Father Christmas helps MPs understand how the online safety bill actually makes the internet less safe. Oh, so sweet. And of course, it's the time when everyone all over the world is absolutely knackered and just wants to hibernate, their brains only being able to focus on that week in between everything where you forget what time it is and it's absolutely allowed to sleep solidly for seven days straight without anyone worrying about you. During this festive season, it is important that we remember that the government and indeed all MPs are people too. Well, I mean, mostly. The jury's still out on Marc Francois, who many suspect is at least part rock troll. But the rest of them, even if they don't act like it, are people as well. And that's why when they make appearances on television shows or outside Downing Street, you know that their brains have also checked out, possibly way before December or even the last December or the one before that. Nadim Zahawi, for example, has been operating on Christmas season levels of brain activity for, well, likely most of his life, but you know particularly in winter, which is clearly why he gets all his tax calculations wrong and ends up sending them offshore by accident. Oops! And so, in this season for giving, we should have the understanding that when he talks out loud, there's probably very few lights on behind all his eyes as his brain computes the possibility of cuddling up with his warm, warm horses in his taxpayer-heated stables. Zahawi has now been in so many government positions for only five to ten minutes at a time at most that when he's thrown into primetime television interviews, he likely has very little idea of which department he's meant to be representing. Is he there for the government or that oil company he worked for for ages while also an MP? Probably because being an endlessly slimy man, he was the perfect mascot for them. 
Why are women talking to me, he might think, forgetting that he's on national television and not at one of the many President Club events he used to frequent. If only he could snuggle right up in that toasty, toasty hay that we all pay to warm next to his favourite foals, then maybe Nadim Zahawi could get enough rest to allow him to figure it all out and actually make sense when he wakes up around spring. Now is the wrong time for nurses and other workers to go on strike, the man whose appearance is of a small face slowly sliding off an orange said on one of the many BBC politics programmes that's there mainly to let Conservatives see how much bullshit they can say in one go before the interviewer even bats an eyelid because it will just help Vladimir Putin divide the West. Yes, that's right, that's what Nadim Zawahi said. The Russian president and what it might look like if you entirely shaved a disgruntled shrew is only insisting on continuing to wage a violent war on Ukraine because of the possibility the UK might increase workers' rights. If we stop paying nurses entirely in applause and instead in hard cash that they can use for food and warmth, what message are we sending then? I mean, hey Putin, you may as well send out the nukes. The critical care team at the Royal Wolverhampton didn't have to use the food bank once this week. One of them even said they were warm enough to feel the tips of all their fingers when they managed to spend their only two hours at home, so I reckon you may as well kick off against Poland next too. What is it about strikes that Zahawi thinks would be such an aid to the Russian leader's plans? Is it that right now, Putin sees our government as progressively getting worse at all things human rights, and so in his mind, if that continues, we could be like a little Russia, a little Russian buddy, and therefore all his friends can start donating to the Conservative Party again, which would, of course, really benefit the country overall by giving us another £1.8 million media room that absolutely no one will use. These strikes, says Zahawi, are unfair at Christmas because unions are disrupting people's lives and he should know as his government have been considerate enough to do that all year round for over a decade. It's not fair to the taxpayers that taxpayers should go on strike because taxpayers aren't being paid enough money to, well, pay tax. How dare rail workers stop people travelling anywhere during a cost of living crisis when they can't afford to go anywhere in the first place and various rail lines have reduced service anyway. It is awful that all these postal workers aren't delivering all those presents no one can afford to buy or all those nurses aren't going to be helping all those people that won't have appointments for another two years anyway due to massive NHS underfunding and understaffing. When will these people who are the taxpayers think about the goddamn taxpayers? If anyone can make a stand about this, it is Nadim Zahawi who HMRC have been investigating for quite a while now on account of him likely not paying his tax. He has, however, used taxpayers' money to heat his stables, and if there's no trains, then he might have to use one of those horses, and that could make it cold. And frankly, that is awful. This month has been coined by the very original press as the December of Discontent, which refers to the winter of discontent in 1978, when there were widespread strikes due to demands for better pay, because basically everything we do now is a reboot. That discontented cold time was in the midst of an energy supply crisis and high inflation. Oh, isn't it funny how times change and progress? Which led to then-Prime Minister and Al, Jim Callaghan and the Labour Party losing the election a few months later, as it turns out these sorts of things do not a popular government make. Now, of course, it is uncannily similar times, except for there potentially not being an election for absolutely fucking ages, and the government of Prime Minister and man who looks like someone made a face out of numbers, Rishi Sunak, being able to fill TV interviews with their most idiot officials, warning against it in case it turns out that going on strike is the exact formula that, I don't know, will cause a hellmouth to open up in Swansea or the giant under the Tower of London to arise and stomp over everything. 
The list of workers on strike or about to start is expanding at a rate that would make Omicron jealous. Rail workers, postal workers, nurses, teachers, driving instructors, baggage handlers, security staff, ambulance staff, university staff, firefighters, London bus drivers and more are all either on strike or planning it. Which kind of makes it hard for critics to claim it's some sort of woke uprising when it's far more that things are just so shit in this country. The rhyme Tinker Taylor Soldier Sailor sounds like you're just announcing who's fed up with it all this week. Actually, that's not accurate because soldiers are still being pipped as the ones to help out during these strikes, as nothing sounds more comforting than living somewhere an army driver may take your driving test and mark you down points for not using your car as a road blockage while they hide behind it for 36 hours as part of a stakeout. Still, I do enjoy the thought of military personnel being sent to investigate a mysterious package that it turns out another military officer delivered while on postman duty earlier that day. These strikes are popular though, with nearly all the polls showing the majority of the public supporting those taking action and blaming the government that is happening in the first place. Ever in tune with what the people want and need, Rishi Sunak has put together a winter of discontent task force to tackle what they say is unnecessary action. I mean, and it is, right? Why won't these people just work twice as hard and starve to death at the same time? What is wrong with them? We know Sunak is taking this very seriously, though, as he's put Salmon Nigiri, but as a person, Oliver Dowden, in charge. So I'm sure he'll tackle people's genuine needs by saying phrases like painful woke psychodrama quite a lot before wetting himself and having to leave. The National Union of Rail, Maritime and Transport Workers said they would stop their pre-Christmas strikes if an agreement was made, but the Rail Delivery Group gave them the option of a small pay rise if they agreed to loads of things they specified they didn't want, and so they said no. There has of course been outrage at the RMT for this, when it should be at the RDJ who treat negotiations over conditions like there are child swapping pogs in the playground. Okay, you give me all your shiny special ones, and in return I'll give you 4% of one of my pogs now, and 4% in a year's time if you let me kick you in the nads three times, and then insult your mum. Luckily, Labour leader and an artist's impression of the silence you get when on hold, and they haven't bothered playing any music, Keir Starmer has been really upholding Labour's ethos as the workers' party. When asked if the RMT were right to reject the latest offer, he replied, I'm not going to start saying one side is right, one side is wrong. Yes, perfect move, Starmer. That'll really help indicate to all voters that you are on their side if their side is being impaled on a fence, wishing they'd made a single meaningful decision in their life instead of hoping if they close their eyes, the wind might carry them in the right direction. Labour just don't have to do anything yet, though, as being as active as a beached whale has already won them the first by-election under Sunak's premiership. Labour got an increased majority in Chester, while the Conservatives' vote share dropped from 38.3% to just 22.4%, meaning Sue Pollard impersonator Sam Dixon is the area's new MP, after the last one had to resign following sexual misconduct allegations. Ah well, and just when they might be entering government where that sort of thing is allowed. Deputy Labour leader and Charlie Brown's crush, Angela Rayner, said Sunak had failed his first electoral test, which is true, but voter turnout was only 41.2%, down from the previous 71.7% in the 2019 general election. I know that was a general election, and this is a by-election, but really the actual winner was voter apathy, who's likely to do very well next time round too, if Labour keep insisting that their main policy is to just, I know, exist, and hope everyone will be really impressed by that. Actually, the Labour Party have been pushing two big policies this week. One is their plan to charge VAT on private school fees and remove their charitable status, something that is long overdue on account of private schools really not being charities at all. I mean, can you even imagine celebrities queuing up to make videos saying, if you donate £20,000 a year, Eton can give all of its students their own hot tubs on top of promises they'll get to be Prime Minister when they grow up. Please, please look into your wallets and help. Actually, I can imagine some celebrities doing that. I see you, Cumber Match. I see you. 
isn't enough, obviously. Uh, what Labour should be saying is that they'd scrap all private schools entirely, make education properly funded and available to everyone, and private school buildings could be used as places people learn wizarding skills and absolutely nothing else. But it was enough to get Rishi Sunak to take the bait like the little fish in the little pond he is and accuse Labour of starting a class war, as though there hasn't been one waging in the UK for about 600 years now already. It's like the proprietor of a taxidermy shop getting angry that someone in there tried to swat a fly as its animal cruelty. The other of Labour's big policies is that they promised the biggest ever transfer of powers from Westminster to the British people. No, no, they're not going to stop blocking members from having a say on their own policies. Instead, though, they are going to abolish the House of Lords and replace it with an elected second chamber so that voters could not bother turning up to the polling stations for all those people too. Oh, I see. Now they want to make a whole load of lords unemployed, do they? Why do they hate workers so much? I, of course, joke. Very few lords work. But I am slightly worried that Andrew Lloyd Webber won't have anywhere to hide when it's sunny outside, and that could cause him to disintegrate if he doesn't find a coffin quickly enough. We do need big changes in the UK, though, because the country has changed, right? It's evident. It's no longer a place someone like Royal Aid Lady Hussey can aggressively ask someone where they're really from again and again without getting the sack. Though I do hope someone will still get the chance to do that to her until she gives in and admits she's from a Roald Dahl book as the villain. Having also never heard of Lady Hussey until last week, where she accosted the head of the sister space charity, I'm very disappointed that she has a name like that, but she isn't a 90s rapper who used to do tunes with Foxy Brown and Lil' Kim. Still, now she's had to leave the palace, she's got even more time on her hands than she could possibly give it a go. According to the results of the census, Britain is becoming ever more multicultural and less religious, which is great, though of course it has prompted racists to spout on about the Great Replacement theory coming true. The big problem for them, though, is if that means that they're the ones getting replaced, it just sounds like an even better idea. Never the one to miss an opportunity to be a bigot, decomposing zombie porg Nigel Farage managed to recongeal himself for long enough to attempt a political comeback by claiming that London, Birmingham and Manchester are now minority white cities, which actually wasn't what the data said at all. Uh, he said that they were majority still white, just not all white British. Unless, of course, Nigel Farage only considers white British people as white, in which case he's less racist than we thought, being married to a German woman for all those years. He and various other Conservative commentators got very angry that the country is identifying as less Christian than it did 10 years ago, even though you'd have thought they'd be really happy, as that means there aren't as many who believe they should help a refugee have somewhere to stay at Christmas. Luckily for Frogface, but unfortunately for human rights, that is only partly a joke, as it was also revealed that the government's Afghan Citizens Resettlement Scheme to provide a safe home for those who aided the UK military and government in Afghanistan has so far only actually worked for four people in the last 11 months. Yes, the Conservatives have almost resettled more Prime Ministers in that time. The Home Office said the situation is complex and it presents us with significant challenges, by which they mean if they open up a safe route, then you know everyone will want one for seeking asylum properly and they can't have that. Again, public opinion is way more favourable of immigration and helping those seek asylum than it was 10 years ago, but that still hasn't stopped the Tories planning tough new asylum laws, meaning a cap of 20,000 on how many it takes in from Ukraine, Syria and Afghanistan. So I suppose that means they really need to get a move on and admit 19,996 ASP. Meanwhile, the online safety bill returns to Parliament this week, where MPs will debate how to protect children from internet harms best so that they can spend hours online looking at pictures of all the food they don't get to eat anymore. The bill, as it is, isn't bothering to regulate social media companies to take down harmful content, but instead it just threatens to ban encryption and breach a whole ton of privacy rights. Still, what could make our children safer than hackers knowing their date of birth and address and what they look like, right? 
I suppose making British people more susceptible to hackers and not allowing anyone into the country is just all part of the plan to thwart Putin, right? I mean, Russian agents won't bother to find all your details if it's far too easy, and if the UK actually embraces immigration and manages to grow its economy at all, then Putin may just personally go around punching everyone in Moldova and then, you know, we'll be in World War III before you know it. But it is only a few weeks till Christmas, and so I suppose to embrace the true spirit of the season, the government should at least give the country something that they've asked for, even if it just means telling Nadim Zahawi not to get out of bed until some point in 2024. In other news, what happens when a snogi grows up, Ian Blackford has stepped down as the SNP leader in Westminster. He's denied it's because colleagues were plotting against him, or due to his support of outie with glasses Patrick Grady, who was accused of sexual harassment. Instead, he said it was time for fresh leadership, as he probably felt a little bit shown up being there for five years, while the party opposite changed their leader every few months. The two contenders to take his place are serious baked beans Stephen Flynn and Rebecca Front character Alison Thewlis. Flynn says, as a working-class politician who grew up with a disability, he would be a strong voice in Westminster, which, to be fair, is what you need to be heard over all the stupid fucking noises MPs make. Alison Thulis says she'll be a clear contrast from the two men shouting at each other across the dispatch box, because I guess she'll be a woman shouting from a more diagonal angle on account of where she'll sit. Former health secretary and what if you crossed Ralph Wiggum with a meek on, Matt Hancock has returned from his time on I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here to continue to ignore his constituents by now spending all his time promoting his book that absolutely no one asked for. In extracts that have been published in the Daily Mail, meaning there's even more reasons not to buy it, he has tried to defend the horrific Covid death toll he was well, in part responsible for, mostly responsible, pretty much responsible for, in his newly published diaries, by saying he was told that 820,000 could die. So that means by only letting 180,000 die, he was basically heroic, right? No, it's more like saying, I've been told speeding down residential roads all the time will kill people, so I've decided to only do 120 miles per hour on Thursdays and Sundays. He also put the blame on care workers for the deaths from COVID in care homes, as opposed to all his shitty policies that didn't protect them at all. On the plus side though, if care workers really do have that much power over their jobs, then maybe they should give themselves a pay rise and refuse to ever look after any of Matt Hancock's family, ever. What if Matt Perry had been addicted to formaldehyde and former MP for North Shropshire Owen Patterson has taken a case to the European court despite previously calling for Britain to break free from it entirely? I mean, once they hear his pathetic attempts to defend breaching parliamentary standards by working as a lobbyist at the same time as being an MP, they may well give up and close down anyway in order to spend more time adequately facepalming about it. The House of Commons has been given a low hygiene rating by Westminster Council after mouse droppings were found in 19 different places. There are also concerns that as mice are often carriers of parasites, that's how most of the Conservatives ended up there as well. And lastly, in response to months of protests, the Iranian government deny they are disbanding the morality police, but that the law women must wear a hijab is under review. That is going to backfire for them though, because if they give it even one star, they'll be deemed as taking part in witchcraft, and that's forbidden in Islam. Have you checked out yet for Christmas? Uh, I don't mean stop working. I just mean, you know, like mentally checked out. Uh, it hit, as you can probably tell, as you can probably tell I have from that intro, uh, but it hit December the 1st last week and my brain just decided it was the holidays. I mean, it's not. Um, and for some awful reason, I still have to work and do the school run. But I don't really think we're going to improve as a country until we only work during daylight, um, which means over winter, what, like four hours a day? or more I haven't really counted it just feels dark all the time I can see what you're thinking about that sort of daylight uh, working hours but you know in summer that might mean that we work more but I think then what we do is we bring in daylight saving time where we still only work like four hours and then we save the others for winter and then in winter when we realise we can't save time as we're not time lords then we all give up and hibernate again 
Who's voting for me in 2024? That's right, everyone. Although, if the election is in winter, I probably, probably wouldn't be able to campaign very well to be too tired. So, yes, yeah, sorry, it's a slightly sort of bitty intro there with some jokes that just don't really make sense. But the news is bitty, and my brain is bitty. Um, it does sort of feel like we might have a normal Christmas news time, doesn't it, this year? You know, um, where there isn't any. Uh, I've jinxed it now, haven't I? There's going to be, there's definitely going to be an election in that weird bit between Christmas and New Year's, isn't there? The Merineum. At least then, though, I suppose there'd be something to look forward to in 2023, or at least sort of not look backward to so much. I haven't worked it out yet. Um, this is the last proper podcast of the year. Um, I did have an interview lined up for next week's, but that person has eluded me. And so it'll just be a mini Just Jokes one as a last one for the year, as no one... No one needs podcasts now, do they? Who needs podcasts in December? There's other stuff. You've got to hear Mariah Carey singing that you're the only thing she wants for Christmas 400 times in a row. That's what everyone needs. So um, I've checked the listening stats, and it, I mean, really, like, you will start dropping off in December anyway. I fully understand. There's other things to do. So there'll be next week's show, and then I'll take a break till mid-January when there's stuff to complain about again. And, of course, then it'll nearly be episode 300, for which I have nothing exciting planned. You're welcome. Uh, Of course, if you do have any ideas for anything exciting I should do with it, let me know. I have zero. Um, Until then, thanks, uh, you know, for all the things, um, particularly everyone that got billed for the Patreon this week, which is always hugely appreciated. Um, You, of course, can join that too for no rewards at patreon.com forward slash parpolbro. I know I keep saying it Patreon, but I know it's Patreon in the UK but like everyone because it's an American site it's all like Patreon we've been through this before I'm going to keep saying Patreon um, or you could just fling cash at me via the ko-fi.com forward slash parpolbro too but look what I really want to ask this week is where are you all lurking online now uh, posting about this podcast on Twitter really doesn't work now all the algos seem to mean that any link popped on a tweet just makes it disappear and i'm kind of wondering where else to tell people this exists um facebook is terrible unless you know you pay mark zuckerberg so you can dress up as a giant carrot and shout about it in the metaverse linkedin doesn't really promote things unless you kind of promote yourself and tell everyone you're giving it 117 percent and you learn how to be really productive by not being dead or something instagram's all pictures this is audio it doesn't quite work um, Mastodon confuses me no I'm not going on TikTok I'm too old and I don't want to have to brush my hair every day so where do I tell people about this do I go back to handing out flyers in pubs should I ask you all to scroll publicity for this show under tunnels and in subways any thoughts that are of course completely inexpensive please please let me know the last interview of the year is with Phil Lindsay at Four Day Week, um, talking about a campaign for, well, Four Day Weeks, uh, and sadly not quite just working in daylight hours, but you know, it's close, isn't it? Sort of close. Baby steps. It's all about the baby steps. Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? 
They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. The big problem with the government's notion that they want to get everyone into work is that everyone I meet doesn't actually like working. I mean, why are people so eager for the weekend if work is so damn great? Why does everyone always want to go on holiday? Isn't the utopian ideal that no one ever works again? As you know, we've got robots that will do it all for us while we engage in wholesome activities like trolling people online and swearing at pigeons. Politicians have, for years, told us about these mysterious hard-working families that exist somewhere in their fevered imaginations, where presumably every member of the family is so devoid of happiness that even the children and elderly grandparents are opting to slog a nine-to-five rather than attempt to actually enjoy life. The world has changed so much since the idea of work began that it does seem kind of silly we're still conforming to this idea that we have to do the same hours on the same days of the week, even though it's been proven time and time again that flexible working and fewer hours boost quality of life and productivity. But then I guess, what sort of place would Britain be if we were happy and efficient? What next? Before you know it, we'll speak in German, right? And, you know, several other languages, as we'd have time to learn them instead of replying to emails with You've cc'd the whole office about your need to take sick leave due to genital warts again, Tony. Please stop it. And anyway, if jobs aren't paying well enough to eat or heat your homes when you're working all hours of the week, we should probably all be questioning if it's worth it at all. If our country's representatives set an example, then they only work, what, like a handful of weeks a year? Very rarely on a Friday. And the last, last Prime Minister was on holiday so much you'd think he actually worked for TripAdvisor. So isn't it time to follow suit with the way the future is going and all work less too? So say I, a self-employed type who works seven days a week. But hey, it's not work if you do what you love, is it? So really, I only do one day a week because, geez, this podcast is a slog. Am I right? This week's interview isn't so much dwelling on the government being awful like useful, but more a hopeful way that things could be. You know, in an alternate universe where stuff like that sometimes happens. I spoke to Phil Lindsay at the four day a week campaign about just why it makes sense for all of us to work less. Because the campaign hopes to appeal to everyone everywhere. I mean, who wouldn't like the idea of endless three day weekends forevermore? We don't delve into political failures or issues so much as talk about the campaign and how it could be implemented and indeed has been lots already. I asked Phil why now is the time for fewer working hours, if it's going to be easy to do now we're knee-deep into a recession, and how we persuade politicians who don't do much work already to perhaps do slightly more work with a four-day week. Okay, not the last one. But as is tradition, I've tried to end the year's interviews on a slightly more positive note, so I do hope you enjoy. Oh, and I say societal changes when I actually mean working changes, and it's been bothering me ever since we recorded. So now it can bother you too. Here is Phil. Hi, Phil. Um, I, I've got to, I, I sent you as a, as a pre-recorded, uh, before we started recording, that I, I am biased towards this. I, even as a self-employed person where I, I don't really have any day week, but I still think four day weeks has a brilliant, uh, a brilliant idea. And I'm going to try not to go on about that as we talk and actually get information from you about why. But I'm very curious as to why now is the time that a four day week seems particularly prevalent. I was, I was fascinated reading through your website about 
you know, the weekend was only invented, was it uh, a century ago? Um, you know, we haven't always just had a five day week. Uh, and clearly the weekends worked for, for a while, maybe, I, I suppose. So why is it that now we should be only doing four days a week? And, and what are the benefits of that? Yeah, great question. Um, so, yeah, I mean, basically, uh, the marker of progress for any society, or at least one of the key ones, is are you reducing the amount of work hours that you're, you know, the people in that society are doing? Um, and over time, obviously, we, we've seen that. Um, but where we're at the moment is that since the 80s, we, we've kind of stalled. Um, so technology is increasing, automation is increasing, which means productivity is going up, but we're not being rewarded in, in, in terms of how much more free uh, time we have. So that's sort of where we're at. Um, you mentioned the five-day week being 100 years old. Um, it doesn't seem that long ago, maybe. But if we consider the kind of economy we had uh, 100 years ago, things have completely changed. I mean, like one of the the, the biggest things going on 100 years ago was, was coal mining. Uh, you know, it was one of the top, top professions to have. Um, there's not so many coal miners around anymore. Uh, the economy has changed quite a bit. Um, so we've got to go and change the working week to to reflect that. Um, and then on the flip side, the four day week, a lot of companies have already got it in place and it's working. It's completely viable. Um, we're not we're not forcing this on on uh, you know businesses that that could not do it. It absolutely can and is happening. Um, and that's sort of why it's the time that we really push everyone to take it on board. Um, and. I was going to say this might be a slightly facetious question, but you know what's the reason? Sort of four day? Why not? Why not a two day week? Why not? Why not why, is it? Is there a sort of a certain amount of time that is, does that make sense for it to be that many hours a week? And are there specific benefits to it being? Is it thirty two hours? Isn't it? I believe it would be. Yes, four day weeks or, or four day week or thirty two hours. Um, and actually, when we talk about the four day week, mostly we're talking about the hundred eighty hundred model. Um, which is where you're paid 100% of a full-time salary um, for 80% of the time worked. Uh, and, and the idea is to maintain around 100% productivity. Um, and that, that's why we we go for the four-day week, as opposed to, say, the two-day week, um, because we, we can actually achieve that on the whole. Um, I, you know, Hopefully one day in a two-day week, you'll be able to still do 100% productivity. Um, we'll, you know, maybe we'll get there bit by bit. Um, but but for the moment, I think, you know, these changes have to happen gradually uh, and the four day week is is the right thing for right now. Yeah, I mean, also, I mean, you know, as I said, I was being facetious. I'm very aware that, um, you know, that, that people people do like working <laughs> and and that four days is sort of good about a time before you burn yourself out, need a bit of a break, recharge you back. That seems to make a lot of sense just from how we work as people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, that, that's what we're finding. Is um, also like when we're talking about the benefits of it. Um, so yeah, that's one of the benefits is that you get a massive reduction in burnout. Um, people are able to like keep doing great work for much longer periods of time. Um, in a five day week, what we have at the moment is is that you've got a lot of sickness absences, whether that's through illnesses or or, or any like mental health issues. Um, and what we see with a four day week is that that massively reduces those sickness absences. Um, and, and and so that's one of the many sort of benefits that you'd have as a business. Um, that's amazing. Yeah, it's pretty good. Um, you know, look, I, I've just created uh, a set of infographics uh, that, that detail 100 benefits uh, of a four-day week. I'm not going to throw all of those out <laughs> um, right now. 
Um, but but I would like to rattle through some, if that's okay, just kind of break oh, please. Into, uh, into different categories. Um, so I've already started talking about business. So, so why not let's carry on with that? Um, as, as well as reducing your sickness absences, you can have better retention of staff. Um, I mean, it's a no-brainer. People are going to want to stay at a, at a company that has a working week that suits their life. Um, you're actually going to see productivity increases per hour um, because people are better rested, so they're better switched on whilst they're at work. Um, you may even see, and we have seen this um, in our in our four day week trial that we're running in the UK at the moment. Um, you, you may may see productivity uh, productivity increase generally. So actually, people are doing more work in a shorter amount of time just by having that more rest uh, and more time to wow. do other things. Pretty good. Um, quality of work increases. Uh, morale again, another no brainer. Morale is going to improve uh, if people have more leisure time, uh, and actually. Uh, so talking about the trial that we've been running, um, so this is a trial that we started in, in June. Uh, it's going to be running until early next year. And this is where we had about 70 companies uh, take on the 40 week and we're sort of measuring how uh, how suitable it is for those different companies. Um, and, and, and yeah, sort of measuring happiness of workers, productivity, all sorts of things. Um, but we did a midpoint survey and what we've what we've been told is that 86% of, of the people who got back to us, uh, they've already decided they're keeping it. So they were, wow. and they're, but they're already, they're like, this is absolutely working for us. It's changed everything. We're carrying on with it. Um, so that's hopefully where we'll keep going with it as we go. So that's business. Um, right. Economy, generally bigger picture stuff. Four day week. It's good for the high street because people have more time to do things. They've got a three day weekend, essentially. Um, they're not doing online orders. They're going out to their, their local businesses. So it's great for that. Um, we also find that people tend to spend more, well, less money on uh, material goods uh, and, and more on, on services. Um, so it's going to be good for tourism. It's going to be good for hospitality, um, things like that. Um, if we're looking at sort of what's going on in other countries in terms of working hours and productivity, um, you've got countries like Norway and Denmark who they, they work some of the, the lowest hours uh, in Europe, um, but they've got amongst the highest productivity. Um, and I'm sad to say, over in the UK, we work some of the, the we work more the, than most of the other countries in Europe. Um, and our productivity, it's not in the toilet, but it, it, it's low compared to what you would think. Um, so actually, we should be trying to be more like Norway and Denmark, um, working less uh, and producing more. I mean, that's definitely a motto I think a lot of people would like to live by. I mean, that was, it's amazing when you're talking about the trial and the amount of companies that have stuck with it. But how, were, were there quite a few companies that were already doing a four day week before that? And are you noticing kind of business pushing ahead with this anyway? I'm, I'm guessing, you know, this is, we'll get to kind of the political side of this in a minute, but this does really feel like well, companies must be noticing the difference it makes and the benefit to, to them to, for, for doing it. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, companies have been taking it on in jibs and jabs. You've got companies like Kickstarter and Buffer, which are big tech companies that, that work a four day week. Um, but yeah, we're seeing basically a massive uptick uh, in, in the last year uh, of companies coming to us uh, and saying, like, look, how do we how do we make this move um, and, and sort of reaping the benefits? Um, we've recently had Atom Bank uh, have started working a, a four day week um, and they they've done tons of work on like making sure that they're they're doing right by their employees, but also by their customers. Uh, and all the results are good. Customer satisfaction is up. Uh, uh, employee morale is up. Uh, revenue is up. 
yeah, basically people are trying it out and they're going like, why weren't we doing this before? Why why weren't we doing this sooner? Do you think the because I mean, cause obviously one of the things that has made a massive difference to working in the last couple of years was the pandemic where suddenly everyone went, I mean, I'm talking to you on Zoom, which I wouldn't have done uh, even, you know, a couple of years ago. And I, I was still calling people on Skype for these interviews, which is terrible. But, you know, Zoom, Zoom's changed things, working from home's changed things. People kind of kept more local. People don't want to travel as much. Has that been probably one that like a, a really big push towards um, the four day week campaign being successful? Or do you think we'd have kind of got here anyway because of, of some of the societal changes you mentioned earlier. Um, I think you're absolutely right. I think the, the pandemic uh, turbocharged it basically with everyone from working from home. Absolutely. Work became a lot more flexible. Um, and, uh, you know, also look, we all kind of had all this free time, but we also had this realization that life is short um, and that actually, uh, you know, we, we enjoyed having that bit more time maybe to spend with each other, with our loved ones, choosing what we got to do with our time. Um, and that we'd like more of that whilst it's there. Um, and so, yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, the pandemic gave it a real boost. Um, and that's sort of what we've seen going forward. But, but I suppose, as you said earlier, you know, there's more automation. Uh, there's there's sort of other thing, other changes in, in work that are happening that would have meant we'd probably have got here eventually. Yeah, absolutely. Look, there's not a lot of positives to take from the pandemic, but it did give us a slight boost. <laughs> sure. We'll take the ones we get. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> that's very hundred percent. Like we've got to take the the joy where, where it is, and that is the the joy to be had. Is that yes, you're right. It was already on the move. It should be happening. Now we're really everyone's sort of desperate to make it happen, which is fantastic. Yeah, that's fine. I, I will take that one. That's fair. Um, so I suppose the, the big question, um, you know, we're talking at a time, uh, in, in fact, the week that we're speaking, uh, there's currently a postal strike and uh, there's teacher strike in Scotland and there's two, uh, there's rail strikes. Uh, it's a big week of strike. There's a lot There's a lot of issues uh, with, with working uh, rights and, um, you know, pay not being good enough to reach inflation. And at the same time, we've got a two-year recession where the argument's constantly that people have to work more and they can't be paid more because that would cause inflation. You know, that's the, the political uh, sort of rhetoric about it. Um, does all that make arguing for a four day week much harder uh, when, you know, on, on and I, I don't mean in the detail because obviously you've explained detail and how brilliant it sounds, but just in the simple saying it sounds like we're working one day a week less <laughs> in a time when we've all got to be earning more and, and, and working harder. It's a completely valid question, but the answer the answer is is no. It, it's still a very easy argument to make, um, and and that's largely because because we're in a recession. You know, you're a business owner. Your 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 employees. You would love to reward them with with a massive pay rise, but but the money that you're taking in uh, is not what it could be, and you cannot offer them the pay rise they deserve. What you can offer them is a four day week. Okay, so you offer them a four day week. Um, they're working less. Uh, they're happier. Their financial um, outgoings uh, are likely to be improved um, on a four-day week. Obviously, you're, you're talking about things like childcare going down, commuting costs going uh, going down. So there's lots of financial benefits to to the employee. Um, but you, as an employer, um, are expecting about the same productivity. Um, so it's sort of a win for everyone during a recession when maybe um, the the true pay rise that the employees deserve isn't the option for every company. Sure, that's and that's that's um, how companies will see it, which is very sensible. We sort of sort of mentioned earlier that obviously 
I think probably private industry will be driving this more. But how is it sort of been taken by press politicians? Because it's, it is a big it is a big change. You know, we, as you said, a hundred years ago, the weekend came in. We we are quite used to <laughs> that five day a week structure now. Um, do, you, do you think there's going to be hurdles in just, I suppose, getting us to think differently? Yeah, I mean, so, you know, politicians, obviously, they're motivated by their principles and their ideologies. But a huge thing they're motivated by is voters and what their constituents think. Uh, and look, if, if they're the ones pushing for a four day week, um, then they're going to they're going to sit up and listen. Um, uh, and so that's how we'll move them. I think you move you move you move the private sector maybe first or, or you move move businesses first. And that's how you move things politically. Um, so I think that's what we'll see. I mean, we're already seeing uh, some gains there. Um we had recently uh, Peter Dowd, the Labour MP for Bootle, um, put in a bill uh, for a 32-hour working week, so changing the maximum working hours to 32 hours, um, which is essentially the four-day week that we're we're campaigning for. Um, and and he had a lot of uh, support for that from other Labour MPs. Um, so so it's 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 there. It's it's in the air. We've made those first steps in, in, in politically, um, and and so. You know, look, looking, looking forward. I think we, we're going to continue to sort of, sort of push for that. Uh, and basically, you know, anyone out there listening, uh, right, if you support the four-day week, write to your MP, tell them you support a four-day week, and tell them why. Um, and that's how we'll sort of push this forward. It's, it's, I mean, you know, the other thing you could do, of course, if you could get there to be a sort of royal celebration every weekend of the year, that we'd end up with a four-day week anyway, and that would be great. Absolutely, let's have a bank holiday every single week. And then, yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's it. It's, but it's, it's, it's interesting. It's just that sort of, as I say, the framing of it. Bank holidays, great. And I, well, but I, I, I say this, I haven't seen negativity towards the idea of a four-day week. And I can't imagine there is because who doesn't want to work a bit less? That sounds amazing. But it is, again, that framing of bank holiday is one thing. We're working one day less. It sounds different. But um, it's great that you're already getting some support. And has there been, you said that was with Labour. Do you think there's any sort of movement from the government? towards fewer working hours or is that that to come hopefully um you, you would hope so i mean basically you know our, our premise is the part of the four-day week campaign is that we we we've gone out there and we've done the research and we're doing the trials at the moment uh, and there are trials going on all, all over the world but essentially the idea is is that we have enough evidence to put in front of these politicians to say look it works why not go for it? it? There's no reason not to go for it. Make it seem like, you know, it's an offer that they can't refuse, shouldn't be able to refuse, you know, who knows? But, um, but yeah, that's the idea. Yeah. I mean, they're only in parliament four days a week. I mean, they do work on Fridays in constituency offices, but I'm just saying there feels like, feels like there's an argument there. Um, what about unions? I'm guessing, you know, this again, seems to be like something that unions would support, especially with uh, a want for more flexible hours for workers. Have you had a lot of union support for this? Well, so, you know, we were talking earlier about how um, 100 years ago we got the, the weekend um, and, and a lot of that was down to union pressure. We wouldn't have um, the working week that we do now um, without unions uh, sort of supporting the drive for a short working week. Um, so definitely we, we, we need them on board. We encourage them to be on board. Um, you know, we've got a few instances of, of, of uh, you know, uh, unions starting to take it on board. There's uh, Education in Scotland, who are the largest Scottish teachers union, uh, and, and they've got it on their on their roster of things to campaign for. Um, so it is out there. Um, but, yeah, we, we definitely encourage encourage union support and, and, and welcome it. And we'll do more uh, to get it and help us to win the four day week. 
and I suppose this is, uh, you know, it, it, well, I, I, what I'm curious, I have to say I'm curious because as we've, we spoke about it, and I, as I said, I'm biased towards this, but have you had any resistance? Has there been anyone that's against this idea? There are some. There, there, there is some resistance. Um, you know, shockingly little, uh, if I can be frank. Um, you know, you kind of expect more pushback, but actually, like I say, because we've done the research and we've done the trials, there's a lot of evidence to show it works. That means that there's not a lot to, to push back on. Um, but, but you have some some interesting people who who actually want things to go in the other direction. Um, I think Christopher Chope the other day was arguing that we need to get rid of uh, working time directives and, 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 you know, companies should be able to, to make people work for as long as they need to work. And, you know, you should be doing 70 hour weeks. Um, and, and, you know, there is that pushback, but, but it flies in the face of, of all the evidence. Um, and you just kind of feel with people like that, that you could, you could, you could put anything in front of them. You could, you could absolutely prove it to the hilt and, and they still wouldn't support it because they're kind of set in their idea of, of how work should work. Um, well, Phil, listen, it's, it's fascinating. And as I said, it's quite hard to talk to you without just agreeing, <laughs> agreeing with all of this, because why wouldn't you? It's going to, I'm going to, I'm going to be honest, as a self-employed person, the only thing I don't like is that there'll be one day less a week when I can go to the shops and no one will be there. And that's normally what I like. Um, but that's fine. I'll deal with it. Um, but how do, how do people support this? Because obviously, as you said, you know, companies are taking it up, which is, which is brilliant. Um, politicians are, are slowly getting to you. But how, how do we help this kind of gather momentum? How do you, how do listeners show that this is definitely something that, that we would like? Yeah, so um, look, we, we've got a website, fourdayweek.co.uk. Um, that's a four as in the number as opposed to the the, the word. Um, and we've got tons of resources on there that people can access. What we need is people to learn the arguments for a four-day week. We need them to go away and talk to their friends, talk to their colleagues, most importantly, um, so that then they can go to their boss and say, look, here's the case for the four-day week. Let's try it out. Um, so that's one thing that people can do that would be, be huge. Uh, obviously, follow us on social media. That'd be great as well. Um, we're at four day underscore week on Twitter and four day week campaign on Instagram. Um, so just to keep up with what we're doing on there, that'd be great. Um, and, and also what we'd love is if, if you if you run a business and you're interested, even just a little bit uh, in the four day week, get in touch with us. Um, and, and, and we can give you advice. We can give you guidance. We can help you set up a trial. Um, and look, if you love it, we can get you onto our accreditation uh, scheme um, whereby we give you a bit of a boost uh, on social media and chat about how great your company is. Um, so there's all these lovely things. In fact, we just hit um, 100 accredited companies. Um, that's that We'll probably just release that maybe a week before this podcast comes out. Um, so there's a little scoop for you there. Um, but yeah, those are the ways that people can help. Cool. That's very exciting. And well, brilliant. And, um, listen, you know, uh, the question I ask all the interviews on this podcast with the sort of hope of furthering good information, which is that apart from yourself and and the four day week campaign, um, what other writers campaign sites would you recommend that listeners check out for, I suppose, the politics of, of flexible working? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we would recommend that you check out pregnant, pregnant, then screwed. Um, is what they, they're called. Uh, and they're doing a lot of good work to end the motherhood penalty, the idea that when you become a mother, um, a lot of things become more difficult, a lot of barriers are thrown up. Um, and one of those major barriers is flexible working, um, the, the need for it and the lack of it. Um, and so they're really good to follow uh, for that. Um, we'd also suggest following autonomy, 
Um, they're an independent research group that we work quite closely with. Um, and actually, uh, th we've used a lot of their studies um, to sort of prove that the four-day week is viable. Um, in fact, their four-day week, um, their study that they did in Iceland is, uh, is, is a landmark in terms of um, showing what the four-day week is capable of uh, and the impact that it can have. Uh, so definitely follow autonomy. Also, the Women's Budget Group and New Economic Forum. They're also great as well. Thanks to Phil for that chat. Do get on board with the four-day week campaign, especially if you're a part of a workplace that might be susceptible to join up. Um, even more so if you are a sentient workplace that listens to this show somehow. You can find them at fourdayweek.co.uk and as Phil said, on all of the socials too, including TikTok, because they are way, way more relevant than I am. That's possibly, maybe, likely, uh, I mean, it is the last interview on the show for 2022. So who shall I talk to next year? Let me know your 2023 political flavours of choice and I'll get sourcing words from such places. You can do that by dropping me a line on the at Parpolbro Twitter or Facebook or via partlypoliticalbroadcast at gmail.com. And that's your lot for this week's Partly Political Broadcast. If you're a fan of the show, well, then why not spread the word like it's an unhealthy butter alternative to all of those you know who might like it on their audio toast. If you can afford to, please donate to the Kofi and Patreon and also give the show a nice sparkly review at Apple Podcasts, Spotify or the other places you can find podcasts in their natural habitat. Big thanks to Acast, my brother Lars Skeptic and Cat Day. And this will be back next week when Nadim Zahawi insists the NHS is aiding Putin by being operational and if we all just died of our injuries, then there's no way he can divide us. Bye. This week's show was sponsored by Shamdemic Diaries from Matt Hancock. Available next to the Lou Roll in all supermarkets from this week. Featuring incredible insights to his time as health secretary such as It was when I asked my friend who ran my local Do you fancy getting loads of money to supply important things that you have no concept of how to do? And he said, yeah, it'd be a laugh, innit? That I knew it'd be okay. And It was seeing those death tolls go up and up that mini Matt rose up and up too and I said to Gina, I'm going to have to bonk you right now in the photocopy room as nothing makes me want to create life like so many losing theirs. Shandemic Diaries costing around 180,000 lives and all good retailers. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.